Well, good morning, church. If you're ready, everybody say ready. Here we go. This is number five in our five-part series, God's Money. We're looking at five diagnostics for biblical stewardship. And if you haven't been with us, if you're a guest with us, welcome. I'm Pastor John Feek. Last week, we ended off with give generously. It's all God's money. And so we give in such a way that we display God's heart. Do you believe that God is a generous God? For some of us, you're like, I think God is super stingy. He hasn't showed up for me. He's not supplying for me. Well, for some of us, we we haven't been walking with the Lord. We haven't been seeking him because as we seek the Lord, we know he is a God of great generosity. And what he's calling for his kids to do is just to have his heart and to be like him with the time that we have, with the resources that we have, that we would give it generously. And last week we talked about this, that there's this thing called tithing. Last week in Malachi 3, that he says, test me. Test and see if if you will not receive blessing from heaven that the, the windows of heaven would be opened. And so we have these cards that we passed out last week. And if you have one this week or you've been praying all week long through that 90-day tithe challenge, you give for three months. You say, God, I'm willing to give and sacrifice. I'm willing to give generously, consistently for 90 days. And we're going to say this as a church. If God doesn't break through, if God doesn't come through, if God doesn't supply all of your needs, we're going to give your three months back. We'll give your money back. If God doesn't show up, he's going to show up through us supplying your needs. This is a challenge worth taking. We live in in the great land of consumerism, America, and we love to show up for stuff and take and take and take and take and take. We love to be consumers of goods and then criticize it on social media. Church sucked. Lame. I'm going to go to the awesome church down the road. Music is better. AC was properly set. The lighting was better there. The last one, lame, lame, lame. Jesus' church is not to be consumed, to be taken and criticized. We are the body of Christ. We are to step up. We are to serve and sacrifice and give because this is our family. Do you know the difference between a guest and a family member? If you come over to my house for lunch and we go all out for Mother's Day and say, you don't have any plans? No problem. Come over to our house. Do we expect you to clean up? Do we expect you to vacuum? Do we expect you to do the dishes? No, because you're a guest. Do you know what we expect of our kids? Get your butt going. Do the work. Sacrifice and give because you're part of the family. When you're part of the family, you roll up your sleeves and you do the work. You give and you sacrifice because we love each other and we're in it together And so today, our last call of biblical stewardship, it's not just generosity, but it's enjoying God's good gifts, but enjoying them in a certain way. We enjoy the gifts God gives and we enjoy them carefully. Why is it a big deal to experience God's gifts in a way that is cautious and careful? Well, we're about to find out. I think it's going to be incredibly challenging as we land the plane. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter six. And as an intro, we're not going to get to verse 17, but I want to say this. This has been so heavy on my heart. First Timothy six, 17, as for the rich in this present age, Paul was talking to the church and speaking to Timothy and saying, Timothy, as you pastor this church, people are not generous. And there are people that have wealth and some people are going to be rolling in it and they're going to be bankrupt in eternity. Some people have nothing here and they give it away and they're going to have something awesome when it comes to eternity. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, challenge them, warn them. And as I was studying, I think I mentioned last week, the top 1% 
richest in the world, you are part of the warning that Paul gives if you make $15.55 per hour or $32,350 a year as a household. You can work at McDonald's for $15.55 today. Your first week's paycheck, you will be in the top one percentile richest human being in the world in 2023. So when Paul has warnings about how we handle our funds and steward things, you're not thinking of Musk, Gates. Who are you thinking of? Me. Our junior high boys getting their first job, minimum wage, richest in the world. If you're making anything more than they are flipping burgers, insanely wealthy, warning, warning, warning. He says this, as for the rich in this present age, challenge them, charge them not to be arrogant, not to be puffed up, not to get inflated, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but instead on God, but on God. Everybody say, but on God, but on God. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So with that, how do we enjoy what God has given us? Because we're filthy rich. If I'm going to enjoy God's gifts, how do I enjoy it? Well, we can err on this side. Way over here on this end is too little enjoyment we would call asceticism. Being so afraid to enjoy anything because... God might not like it if we have too much fun. I don't know if you grew up with a, a God that God's always watching, right? And, and if you're, you're having a little too much fun, boom, party over, right? God's like, no mas, adios. God has given us things to enjoy, but we can take these things to an extreme. The church in Colossae needed this kind of reminder because they were a group of cheerless Christians. Everybody say, boo. Yeah, cheerless Christians, that's an oxymoron, right? Cheerless Christians, do they exist? Not godly growing ones, not passionate after Jesus ones, but yes, there are those that struggle cheerless, cheerless. Well, asceticism is the belief in a rigorous self-denial, a suppression of anything that satisfies. And who would do that? Who would do that? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, who would do that? What, what kind of Christian would do that? Who would do that? Uh, what's the response? Many, actually. All throughout church history, we see so many believers denying themselves, hoping to gain God's favor, entering into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And here it is, verse 16, Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival. So there's a whole crew of people going, hey, hey, you, you can't drink that. You know you can't eat that, right? If you really love God, I mean, what are you putting into your body? You're going to what party? Uh, you're not allowed to do that. I thought you were, I thought you were a Christian. I thought they were Christians. Are they Christians? You can't do that if you're a Christian. Do you believe that all throughout church history, there's been gossip groups in the church talking about other people of what they're eating and drinking and what parties they're going to and what they're posting on social media? Okay, maybe that's a little more recent, but all throughout church history, there has been so many debates over different holidays. And do, do you believe that it's a recent debate about uh, Easter, about Halloween? Oh, this goes back. Uh, if you're a Christian, you know you can't celebrate that, right? Do you know the origins of that? That's wicked. That's evil. That's Satan's holiday. 
This is so 2,000 years old, right? Every generation has a new generational uh, issue of what we don't do, what we don't do. And I wonder, have you been raised in a home where all you know about God is Christians don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't? I don't know about you, but if you get around a whole crew of people that are pretty fired up about what they're against, you wonder what they're actually for. Because you, you kind of got the long list of what they're anti, what they're boycotting, what they're picketing, but you're not quite sure what they're actually in, in favor of. Hey, anybody know friends like that? Because certainly that wouldn't be you. It's got to be somebody else, right? So like, I know a friend like that. I have a great cousin twice removed. Yeah, somebody like that. I know them. Verse 17, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance, the main thing that we're really after, not just the partying, not just the celebrations, not just the food and the drink, Substance is all about Christ. It belongs to Christ. So when you, when you grow in a love relationship with God, it ceases to be about the long list of all the things that you can't do anymore. Have you, have you taken that step of not just coming to church or being religious or having the list that you judge everybody else based on because you're kind of good at being good? Are you done with that? Because what God wants to take us into is a place of relationship where we understand there are things to be enjoyed. There's a life that God has called us to live that we can actually party and be holy, that we can do both, that we can enjoy amazing cheesecake <laughs> to the glory of God, that we can celebrate with people highlights of what they're experiencing, but knowing that's not the main thing, that there's something greater, but we can party at graduation time, right, Bear? We can do this. We can say, let's throw a party and we can party hard, but we can do this. We can do it with Jesus in view, knowing he's the main thing. It's not about what we can't do. It's about what the purpose is. And Paul's saying, don't let anybody judge you by adding a bunch of extra stuff to the book. Verse 17, the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions and, and dreams. Do you think that Paul's day was any different than our day? I don't need the Bible. God talks to me in dreams, and I, I'm not really sure what the Bible says, but I know that in the clouds and the bird and the thing that I saw and the coincidences and all the stars lined up, he's like, how about we debate less about that and we get more focused on the goodness that God has for us and what he's made clear? And here it is, verse 19. We're not holding fast to the head. We're not gripping tight our Jesus. We're running everywhere else. But here's what he says. It's the head. It's Jesus, the boss from whom the whole body, somebody say, that's us. Yep, yep. The whole body is nourished by Christ and knit together by Christ. It's joints and ligaments growing with a growth that is from God. With this Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why are you still living in this world, obsessed with old things. He says this, do you submit to regulations instead of holding to Christ? Paul's writing to a people that had a very religious way. And it says this, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste. We don't do that. We don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls who do. So not into that. We, we don't do that anymore. We have our list, right? We have the sinister seven or the nasty nine, or we have the dirty dozen. We have our list of all the bad stuff that we stay away from. 
I may be smoking pot, but it's not cocaine, okay? All right, all right, so back off. I know we're having sex, but at least I'm only having sex with one person at a time, okay? All right? Hey, back off. At least I'm not killing anybody. I just punched him in the face a couple times. I know I went to jail, but he's still alive, okay? We're constantly obsessed with all of the, at least I'm not, because there's always something a little bit more serious, a little bit worse. And that's not according to Christ. That's not what Christ taught us. That's what the world tells us. Just don't be like the worst person you know, and then you'll be okay and stick to your list of the things that you don't do. I'm very serious and not about putting chemicals into my body, but I look at porn. All right, which one is which one is worse? Well, I know that I cheated on my wife, but at least I'm not doing drugs because on my list is no drugs. That's bad. Open sex, good? Well, no, but at least it's not as bad as what's on my list. I have the list. And I wonder, what's on your list? I feel pretty good about myself because I don't do the things on the list that I created because I'm religious and I stick to my list. And he's saying, don't let anybody lead you astray with this. You're supposed to be enjoying God's gifts, but doing it God's way, not being self-righteous and following your list. Do not, do not, do not, do not. According to human precepts and teachings, the stuff that people have made up If it's not in the Bible, I'm not going to be writing a list or reading somebody else's list. I need to see it from the Word. So here's a big question. How vulnerable are you to being led astray and being very religious but not having a love relationship with Jesus because you don't know the book? I just, I don't know what, what he wrote. If you were to hit the street and be able to do surveys, you can get surveys of what What are the top 10 best movies of all time? And people can fire all those out, right? What are the best songs throughout history? No problem. What are the 10 commandments? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know the book, but I know a lot of trivial things that don't matter and are not helping me to live right. So here it is. Asceticism, denying yourself, following a list. It seems wise. What does he say? Verse 23. They indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Somebody say, that makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense not to do that. It makes sense not to touch that. It makes sense. What are the top sellers for Christian books? Uh, Among the top, I was like, this is super helpful, right? It's another do not, do not. Rick Warren is getting really rich off of, hey, Daniel had a diet plan. I'll sell 10 million books called The Daniel Diet. And now we'll create an entire generation that's like, I'm eating God's way. Daniel's diet wasn't intended to be a new list for you to follow and feel better about yourself. You missed the point. Instead, we need the book, right? We need the book. Colossians 2.23, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. What kind of religion are you following? I don't know, I made it up. How confident are you that you're doing the right thing? Real confident, because I created it. That makes you a cult leader, not a Christian, right? If you made it up yourself, if you're following a God of your own imagination, Paul's like, wrong, wrong, wrong. We are intended instead to not turn to asceticism, denial, list following, but instead there's a greater danger. Instead of asceticism, do you know that there's a greater danger lurking in our day? Do you think our major issue is, I'm just always denying myself and being really religious? How many people struggle with that? Do some? 
I think some people do. I'm working really hard to put off all the bad stuff and try to do the good. But do you believe that there's a greater danger in America today? Instead of asceticism, we'd probably want to say the greatest danger, and guess what? God also addresses that issue, is materialism. Materialism. Do you think by far our struggle, we don't just, we don't just fall into the pit of list following and rule abiding. Maybe we kind of lean towards the area of, well, all gifts are from God and everything's to be enjoyed as much as I say that I need or I want. Materialism. So if you're taking notes, it's not just number one, too little enjoyment is asceticism, but number two, too much enjoyment is materialism. Psalm 62.10, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. We need to be reminded, if I have stuff, my heart is naturally going to gravitate towards it. So what does what does Paul say? First Timothy six. So we're going to start before where we uh, where we kicked off in verse seventeen, as far as the rich. So who's the rich again? Everybody, raise your hand. Okay, like I, I'm the rich in the world. I need to be cautious. Okay, I acknowledge that I have been given much, and I know that there's a pitfall. So it's not asceticism, materialism on this side. So First Timothy, are you there? First Timothy six. 9 and 10, but those who desire, those who want, anybody have any wants? Anybody walk in this morning with a, a little bit of a, a want? I'll be happy when, and I, I want, and, and for some of us, we, we have a household filled not just with children, but adults that just every single day, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And you're like, oh yeah, my kids are like that. No, we're like that. And all it takes is just endless scrolling and Amazon cart filling and I want and I want and I want and I deserve and I deserve and I need and I need. And God's people are called to be different because God is giving us something that actually satisfies. And here we, we see from Paul, those who desire, uh, that would be all of us, turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Let them know, okay? And if it makes you feel better about yourself that uh, you're like that for sure, but we're so obsessed, so focused with what other people are doing with what they have that we judge each other on externals. But the Bible is pretty fired up about who? You first, right? Less obsessed about what everybody else is doing, less concerned about others, but instead what? God, where's my heart? Where are my desires? What's the struggle that I have with my want to and need to and this is what he says, but those who desire to be rich, they, they fall. They fall into what? They fall into temptation. They fall into a, a snare, into a trap. I see the worm. I see it dangling. I must have it. Everything inside me is screaming. Everybody else is biting the worms. I need a worm. I need it. I got to have it. And then what? Bam! And what I thought was going to be so good, it got me. Instead of me getting it, it now has, has me. And it's not about what the object is. It's about what? It's about my heart. It's about why my heart is so longing for that thing. Why am I so prone to step into the trap, to bite? Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. I mean, think about the desire to be rich uh, is like going on a website called stufficouldhaveifiwasrich.com. 
and just scrolling endlessly all day. Wait, we have 10,000 websites like that, right? I just, if I was rich, I could have and wish list every single day. And it goes from, I kind of want to, I think I need it, to I can't be happy without it. I'm miserable. I'm so discontent because I don't have that thing. And I, I used to have a truck and now I don't. And, and if I only had a boat and if I had the job that they had, then I would be happy too. If I had their income, then I would be in a totally different state of mind because it's my circumstances that are driving all of my anxiety and my neediness and my envy. And the reality is what? I'm the one that bites the hook. I'm the one that chooses. My heart is in need of something that satisfies. And Paul is saying, there's so many temptations and it plunges people, what does it say? These harmful desires plunge. Talk about the wildest slip and slide ever. People are plummeting into what? Into ruin and destruction. So why, why is this issue such a big deal? And the reality is when we live in a very affluent country and culture, we're not looking, taking glances at God's word as to what our value system should be. We're just looking around all day saying, this is normal. It's normal to live that way. It's normal to use your money that way. It's normal to live a lifestyle that way. This is just what people do. It's not like I'm doing anything different than everybody else. And I wonder if, if Paul would say to us, that's part of the problem. We're living just like everybody else. And if you're here today and, and you don't claim to be a Christian, I don't expect you to live any different than you're already living. If you're not saved, you should live like you're not saved. If you don't know God, you should live a life like you don't know God. And I'm not judging you at all. For 21 years, I lived like an absolute godless pagan. Why? Because I was. And nobody could force me to see that Jesus actually satisfies. Nobody could make me see that God fulfills the desires of my heart. So I was gonna live in a way that looked a lot like I didn't know God because I, I didn't. So if you don't know God today, the expectation is that you would live for this world because this is all there is. YOLO, YOLO. And if you're living just for today and just for this one life, I, I expect you to live lost. I expect you to grab things that you think are gonna satisfy and always be disappointed because you haven't tasted and seen that God is good. But can I, can I speak to Christians? I don't know how many of us in the house would say I'm a follower of Jesus. The problem is when Christians live like their God is not the God that satisfies and they live in such a way that they have to have the things of this world to be satisfied and happy. Is that you? Because that's who Paul's talking about. He's warning, do not go down the same path that everybody else is going because you've chosen a narrow way that actually leads to life. Here it is. Here it is. First Timothy, so powerful because this is the most misunderstood. Okay, that's hyperbole. One of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. You ready for it? You ready for it? Verse 10, verse 10. First Timothy 6.10, for the, just having money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? Uh, just having a bunch of stuff, that, that's the root of all evil. If you got cash, evil. Is that what it says? 
Aren't you so glad that if you actually read the book, you see what's actually there instead of secondhand hearing what other people have said and that they falsely communicate God's word and they deliver half of God's word instead of the whole thing? What does it say? Because it's about the heart. Paul's going after the heart. The love of money, the, the love. Everybody say love. God's really concerned about your loves, what you love, what you want, what you desire, the longings for money. That's the root of all evil. Is that what it says? No, no, that, that's not in the Bible. All kinds, all sorts, all varieties of evil sprout out of a heart that I'm not content, I'm not content, I'm not content, I'm not content, I need, I need, I need, I need. All kinds of evil flows, and you know it, right? Because for those of us that when we said I do to our spouse, but then desire for God is less and desire for someone else is more, we end up in bed with somebody that's not our spouse because God is not enough and what God has given is not enough because our heart desires something more. For many of us, I don't assume this past week that everybody was living a pretty awesome, pure life. For some of us, we put things in our body that are, are either illegal or that we shouldn't be putting in because our heart longs for desires. I need something that I don't currently have, and I'm not going to go to God. I'm going to go to something else. And the idea of money is just stuff, what money can get me. It's not money itself. And so here's, here's a big question. How do I know if I'm in love with money? How would you know? Would you know? For some of us right now, we love money and we don't know we love money, right? I mean, some of us walked in and are like, I know people that love money. That's not me. Are you sure? Are you sure? Should we take a test? You're like, no, it's Sunday. It's church, not school. Too bad. Here we go. All right, write this down. You know that you love money when you're tempted by get-rich-quick schemes. Did you know that? This is crazy. Last year was the highest payout of Powerball in history. Did you know this? Do you know how much it was? Crazy amount, okay? You should have been in Pasadena, California at, at Joe's Service Center because the ticket for 2.04 billion, everybody say billion, billion cha-ching went out to one person and they walked away for real rich. Not like your lower 1% richest in the world. They're kind of like in the upper 1%, right? Which is about this much difference, right? In our, in our world, okay? We're still one percenters for most of us, okay? 2.04, and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, preacher. If I won, I would so tithe. I would take the tithe challenge. I would so sign up for the 90 days. 90 day challenge, boom, mine, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. You know that they, they did a survey of all uh, Powerball winners and all the, the, the mega bucks and all of that, and guess how many they found of those winners that tithed their churches? Exactly zero, okay. So, so good intentions, all right? But we, we tell ourselves that if we had, then we would get. We tell ourselves the problem in my life is that this is missing, and so if I could just get something quick, solve the problem, okay? So coming from a former drug dealer, as I spent years of my life 
get rich quick. I understand that it's not just in the drug dealing business that we live our lives of whatever it takes to make money, I'm willing to do it and I gotta do it fast. Are you, are you sucked into that? How about this? You know that you love money when you're desperate to appear wealthy. Uh-oh, maybe we're getting a little closer to home. Well, I don't wanna look like that nappy dude. I don't wanna look like her. I don't wanna have the look like I just crawled out of bed in the morning. I don't wanna drive that because people might think that I don't have. And as Sarah and I spent five years of our life in a third world country, never cease to be blown away that when you drive through, well, there's really no ghetto, all of it is absolute abject poverty with the exception of a few coastal houses from those that live in England. But you're driving by homes of chicken coop lean-to with dirt floors, and guess what's parked out on the road? A brand new supercharged Japanese loudest muffler, pimped out, awesome, awesome cars. So you live on a dirt floor, but you refuse to drive anything less than, because I need to appear as though I'm not actually where I'm at. I need people to comment on my social media. I need them to see me. I need them to think certain things about me. I need a certain perception that is provided. And what's really, really difficult is we see it in others, but it's really hard to see it where. We don't, we don't see it in the mirror, right? The things that we do subtly or otherwise, where does your money go? Is it going to you appearing younger, skinnier, wealthier? I just want people to notice me. I want them to be impressed. And I want that more than honoring God. But, but here's God's plan. How about we bear fruit for the glory of God and give it all to him and him who died for me that people would think highly of Jesus and that I could have the facade funeral today. How awesome would that be, right? I'm done with the mask. I'm done with the facade. I'm done with appearances. I'm done making sure that I live and drive and that I have a certain set of uh, masks lifted up for everybody to see anything but accept me and where I'm really at. And we could have a funeral today. We just say, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I got to die to that. How about this? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. So how would I know? You know that you love money when you're anxious about what you don't have. For some of us, I, I know that it's hard for us to get really, really honest about what if a lot of our anxiety is actually based on I need and I don't have and I'm obsessed with what is lacking, and there's no gratitude of what has been given, and I'm preoccupied all the time with what if this happens, and what if this happens, and what if I lose this, and what if I don't get this? And, and God is just saying, church, be the church. Every single day is a day of be anxious for nothing. Fear not. The God who is in heaven that sees all and that is crazy generous is pouring out his good gifts so that his people do not have to live with anxiety over what they have or don't have. You know that you love money when you're jealous of what others have. I know this doesn't apply for any of us, so we're just gonna move on because there's no envy, no jealousy in God's house this morning, right? We, we, we don't struggle with this at all. 
I wonder if this week you would just calculate the amount of times that you scroll and that you go, oh, how come they have that? Oh, what? I should have that. What? Don't they work? What? How? How are they getting that? Count the number of times that it crosses your mind of, I can't believe and I should have and why do they have and where'd that come from and I deserve and Honey, remember, we're saving up for that for my thing, not your thing. And remember, I know that the kids need diapers, but come on, like I need the next and the newest and, and our priorities are so out of whack. Anybody, anybody ever been there? I should be focused on this. I should be grateful for this, but instead I'm obsessed and I'm spending so much time comparing myself with what others have and trying to keep up, right? So it, in the words of the great counselor, Bob Newhart, I just want to say, stop it! All right, there we go. And then we can move on, right? We can move on, all right? You know you, know you love money when you're judgmental towards others of how foolish somebody has been and what they have spent or how lavish somebody else, and you're always skeptical and you're always talking to somebody about what somebody else has or doesn't have. Is that... Is that you? And so here's, here's some questions to ask, some evaluation. You have it right there in your handout and to be able to take it home and just, and just be really, really honest, right? Because you know how difficult it is to be honest and just go, is that me? Is that me? Am I like that? Am I like that? Let, let's practice asking that question because all week I, I want us to be asking that question. Just, am I like that? Let's ask that out loud. Am I like that? Am I like that? Am I like that? Do I do that? Am I guilty of that? And what if this week could be an awesome week of, God, I want to enjoy your good gifts, but I want to enjoy them in a way that glorifies you, in a way that doesn't capture my heart and lead my heart astray. God, I want to love you first, and everything else falls in its place. How about this? Number three, let's do this. Number three, if you're taking notes, godliness plus, here's the big word of the day, contentment. Somebody say contentment. Contentment, contentment. Do you know what Paul says? Godliness and contentment, that's an equation for great gain. Great gain. Verse six, let's back up a little bit. Now there is great gain. There it is. It's right there in the text, right? There's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. What would be the opposite? What would be the opposite? I just want to throw this out. Godliness plus discontentment would be horrific loss. If your end game is, I want to be godly, but I'm just so discontent, there's no benefit in that. Because here's what Job reminds us, right? Naked you came into the world, you're going to go out the same way. Right? And so we have Montgomery James entered, entered the world, right? Was it been two weeks, two and a half weeks? Remind me of the date. What's the date? 25th. All right. So Monty, Monty, MJ, MJ is probably better. MJ, MJ, all right. So Montgomery James entering into the world. What, what should babies do for us? When babies enter the world, we should just be reminded, I came in like that, but that's where we stop. Babies are so cute. Oh, look at the adorable baby. Wait, isn't this an opportunity for me to step back and just say, I'm gonna go out like that too, naked with nothing. So what's the story of my life going to be? Coming in with nothing, being anxious and covetous and 
envious and grabbing hold of and trying to accomplish and achieve and be praised and then go out naked. Or we could live godly and content. And God says this, now that's great gain. You found it. You discovered it. That's the secret right there. Godliness and contentment. This is so, this is so not like our world. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that they're so godly and they're absolutely content with what they have? I mean, I wonder if we went around the room and just went up and down the rows. I think for some of we would like struggle to identify one person that we have a close relationship with that's actually living godly and content. It's nowhere to be found. But church, we should be a family packed full of people that are godly and content in all things. It should be contagious and rub off. This should be the church. We're brought in with nothing into the world, can't take anything out of the world. It's a loss being godly, but living with a heart of discontentment. And so as we land the plane, somebody say, land the plane. Here we go. I just want to encourage us. Here's a reminder. Preach to yourself, because when you leave here, unless you hop on the podcast, unless you jump on and listen to uh, one of the messages online, unless you're hopping on YouTube and listening to other preachers, do you know who's the most influential person in your life? You are, because nobody talks to you more than you do. And so here's a role, here's a responsibility that you play in your own life. I am going to preach the truth to myself every single day. I'm not going to believe lies and I'm not going to perpetuate lies. I am not going to stir up discontent in my own heart. I'm going to preach a new message to myself every day, all day long. And here it is, preach to yourself. What should I preach to myself, preacher? What should I preach? Preach this, I'm preparing for forever. I'm preparing for forever. Eternity is in view. I'm thinking about forever. As my dad is dying, guess what I'm thinking about more than I was years ago? Every day for the past years, past months, past weeks has been, John, you don't have much time. It doesn't matter who's been diagnosed and who has stage four cancer. It doesn't matter who is on their way into hospice you and I could precede all of them. This could be it for us. And then what? Forever. And there's no second chances and there's no do-overs. You get this one chance, I'm preparing for forever. I'm preparing for forever. How about this? If you're gonna preach two things, I'm preparing for self, self, I'm preparing for forever. And then this, I have enough. I have enough. How different of a human being, how different of a follower of Jesus would you be if every morning you woke up and looked in the mirror and said, you have enough. You have enough. Everything you have, it's enough. How different would we be as a church if every day each one of us was living a life where we were preaching to ourselves, I have enough, I have enough, I have enough. We wanna turn to our neighbor and say, hey, you got enough. And God's saying, I'm talking to you, not them. You have enough. I'm content. I'm content. I have enough. I have enough. First Timothy 6, 8. I love this. 
if we have food and clothing, if we have the basics, just the basics, somebody say the basics. If God's supplying the basics, with these we will be content. With these we will be content. I went through so, so many quotes this past week. We, we're going to put a few up on the screen. This is just so nuts. If, if anybody knows uh, anything. So before we get to the quotes, I just want to throw this up. Some of us, some of us need to take serious when we say, I don't have much time left, but I don't know if this is what you want on your tombstone, okay? I told you I was sick. I think all of us want something different on our tombstone. We want something different said at our eulogy. We want something different spoken at our funeral. In the end, the last days of each one of these men, and I'm going to go through a few, John Rockefeller, anybody familiar with Rockefeller? If you look at some history, wow, 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 wow. Millions and millions, billions and billions in our money today. He was asked, John, how much is enough? Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And at the end of his life, are we paying attention to this? I've made my millions. They have brought me no happiness. Take it from Rockefeller. We got a, we got a few more. We, get, we got some guys that uh, even today, Vanderbilt's legacy lives on and the ownership of, of so many of his great, great grandkids. And I hope that they know that he said this at the end of his life, the care of millions is a great load. I have no pleasure in it. No pleasure. There's no pleasure. All the money, no pleasure to be found. Who else do we have? Not just Rockefeller and Vanderbilt, but uh, John Jacob Astor, uh, let's, just, let's just summarize. Filthy, rich dude, okay, look him up. But at least he was honest. At the end of his life, he said this, I am the most miserable man on earth. Those were some of his last words. And Henry Ford, anybody familiar with this Ford guy? Uh, I guess he's, he was kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. Ford, at the end of his life, said, I was happiest being a mechanic when it all started. When it all started, that's where happiness was because he, he had little and was content with little, but had ambition that led him to have much that, that brought him no happiness whatsoever. And so as we, as we think about some of these end-of-life quotes, I wonder what's going to be said at the end for us. We're going to take our offering right now, and I wanted to wait to the end because I know for some of us, we've spent the week thinking about, praying about the 90 day challenge. This is not a gimmick. This is not trying to, to rob anybody to try to, to swindle you out of money. Could we say this with absolute clarity? As the leaders of our church, we would say this. The church doesn't need you to tithe. You need you to tithe. You need to give generously, consistently, sacrificially for you, for your own soul, for your heart, for your growth for obedience to Jesus to say, it's yours. So it's not even about the church. God's gonna take care of his church. He doesn't need our ties, but God cares about each of our hearts and he's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that we acknowledge the first is his, off the top is his. It goes to him first because it's all his and we acknowledge that together. And with the rest, we say, I'm content, I have enough. I have enough. So let's pray. Father, as we take the offering, as, as others are handing in their commitment cards into the plate, 
As some of us are taking these cards home and, and talking as couples, as families, and praying together about next steps of giving sacrificially, generously, consistently, cheerfully, God, I pray that you would move. You would have our hearts. It's not, it's not even about the money. It's never been about the money. Jesus, it's about you being the king. It's about you being the ruler of all. It's about you being a father that is so insanely generous. It's about us being stewards. And we're going to give an account for how we handled your stuff, our time, and our talent, and our treasure, because it's all yours. And we're going to have to speak about what we did with it. We're going to have to answer for the moments that you gave us. Our life is so short, God, so help us. Help us now to acknowledge it all belongs to you. Change our hearts. Change the way that we give and give and give with joy. God, thank you that you are at work. You are working in each one of us personally. You're working in our church. Make us more like you, Jesus. Make us godly and content. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.